Welcome to Listen to Talking with Trees, a podcast by Anetta Lander, which is a series of attempts at addressing specific trees in Swedish, Finnish or English. This is a freestanding sequel to the project Meetings with Remarkable and Unremarkable Trees. This episode is part of Pondering with a Pine, a series of conversations recorded with a pine tree in Kaivopuisto Park in Helsinki. Hello, Pine. Long time no see. I wonder how this wind will move around. It was so calm and peaceful just a while ago. Yesterday there was a storm. They say, because I wasn't here, I, I, I arrived yesterday. But you don't uh, look like you have suffered at all. Yes, there are some of your pine cones below on the ground, but no broken branches or anything. So you, it, maybe it wasn't such a bad storm and, and you're strong. You look good. I've been away traveling, flying, which is not a very good thing to do, because I was in Africa, that was the only option. Two conferences, actually. And in one of them, I I also showed some material of you. But that was maybe not the main point. The good thing, perhaps the, one of the only few good things about flying, or long flights, which are disastrous for uh, for the climate uh, is the is the option to to read books so I've read uh, some interesting things uh, among other things the uh, the book called humankind by um, a Dutch uh, journalist and scholar which is like uh, written in a popular manner and and investigates the and tries to to counter the argument of Hobbes that that human beings are are beasts against that would uh, keep on sort of fighting each other and and that uh, the kindness and politeness of civilization is like a thin veneer, or how do you pronounce that, like a thin layer of polishing on top of the, our, our beastly nature. And he, he uh, argues the opposite, that actually we're, we're very kind, we're very sociable, we're very sort of group creatures taking care of each other uh, and not wanting to hurt each other as a default setting. But then because we are so attached to each other and and want to be good and do good, we sometimes uh, turn against others that are not considered, uh, considered our own. Uh, so so this curse, uh, th- this kindness is also a curse because 
when we try to be kind to our own kin, then we start fighting all the others. But the main point is that that a lot of the uh, he examines a lot of the experiments done, uh, which uh, uh, are supposed to prove that that people become nasty very easily, and reveals that they were most of them not watertight or not uh, really coming to those results that, that the researchers claimed they were. Well, anyway, uh, it's a book that that makes you feel good and and is somehow inspiring although it doesn't try to to sort of paint everything in rose color uh, but uh, but somehow the starting point is that trusting people is a good option and of course, when we speak of sort of others and othering, you're somehow the ultimate other. But, uh, but as we know, and intuitively human beings have known since time immemorial, I suppose, that you are our allies. You are other and very strange and difficult to understand. But uh, without you, we would have a lot of trouble, we would be in big difficulty if we would exist at all, to be honest. Now I'm speaking of plants in general or trees. So uh, this sort of basic trust, my, my basic trust is that, that I somehow uh, assume that you could sense that I wish you well. Although one of the one of the advice that uh, the Dutch uh, writer, whose name I've forgotten, something right, unfortunately, I I won't try. Uh, but uh, one of uh, his guidelines was that that uh, don't follow the golden rule. Don't do to others as you would like them to do to you, because uh, they might have a different taste or different preferences. As I, if I remember correctly, George Bernard Shaw pointed out wittily. But but that's true. That assuming, I mean, although it it seems fair to think that that don't hurt others if you don't want them to hurt you, or or be kind to others in order for them to be kind to you. But of course, it's true that we cannot know uh, always what other people or other creatures, other beings want. And that's of course true with you as well. I've been reading a little bit about pine trees, so now I, I know, for instance, that, that you probably don't mind me sitting here. But I also know that um, you might not like me to touch you, for example. Well, um, your bark is thick. What else? The other book I, I read and read like in one go, which was well, almost one go, was by a famous uh, um, environmentalist, uh, George Monbiot, or however you pronounce his name, who is uh, uh, writing in The Guardian often. But his book, Regenesis, uh, 
yeah, I guess that's how it's like uh, pronounced, uh, rebirth even, you could say, um, which is tough reading because it really is about uh, food and the food industry and farming and how to feed all humans without devouring the planet, as the subtitle goes. And uh, his uh, argument is that we should farm less, because uh, uh, the more we farm, uh, the less there is space for all the other living beings. But he also uh, has interesting examples of farmers who try to, try to develop uh, sustainable farming ways. There are so many things he, like, he expressed, but one of the things that, that uh, I remember is this idea countering uh, the notion of, of local food. Because that's, of course, one thing we've been taught. Now there is an airplane, small small airplane, passing. So I'll wait a minute. Well, I don't know if it's small. Maybe it's very big, actually, but it looks small. Uh, yeah, so the idea that uh, eating local food uh, is not really possible uh, if we consider the whole of, of mankind, because, or humankind, because uh, most of us live in huge cities, and even if you would experiment with, with sort of rooftop gardening or, or vertical gardens or whatever, there is no way that, that there would be enough food grown in the cities uh, for all the people who live there. That's his argument, and it might very well be true. Um, and of course he he endorses a plant-based diet, but funny enough, he also talks about the Finnish guy uh, whom he names Pasi, uh, who is doing experiments with uh, uh, bacteria that could produce protein from hydrogen and uh, enjoyed the pancakes made with that floor. So why not? Of course, we have to uh, invent new ways of eating, too. Uh, and that reminded me, of course, that my ancestors, or at least the ancestors of, of, uh, of uh, people living in Finland, used to eat you, parts of you, when there was really a lack of food, if there was like uh, a frost so that the crop would die. Uh, so uh, they would uh, take the part right under your bark, something I think it's called nila, a very, very, very thin layer, and prepare that and mix that with rye or wheat or oats or whatever they had. But it's uh, like from a huge tree like you, there would be very little actually. Uh, 
that type of nila produced. So don't worry. I don't think we will ever try to to return to those practices again. But in desperate situations, what what can you do? Although the the idea that I found most promising, actually more promising than than making protein by microbes, although that's fine, uh, probably, uh, was the idea of trying to have perennial crops. So instead of sowing and harvesting and tilling the earth every year, there would be grass or uh, types of uh, types of wheat or similar uh, crops or oats or rye uh, relatives to them that would grow sort of several years. Uh, and uh, that sounds clever uh, indeed. And of course, uh, uh, as a tree, as a pine tree, uh, you, of course, uh, you're really perennial. So you might have a hard time understanding what it might mean to, to live only for one summer and try to reproduce in that time. And the detail he mentioned, if I remember correctly, was that uh, the cereals we use or, or the the plants that are the, the forms of grass that we use for our cereals are actually the type that thrives after disasters like like uh, fire or or earthquake or something like that when the when the soil is broken and they can come in and very quickly uh, grow and reproduce before more stable uh, plants would take over and his notion was that that uh, we are continuously sort of uh, creating catastrophes on soil because our our types of grass that we grow need those catastrophes so so we're just destroying the soil uh, all the time in order to help those uh, grasses to grow instead of trying to find ways to grow food which would be like more permanent. And of course the ideal would be to have trees and there are many trees that, that uh, produce a lot of nutritious food like walnuts and hazel, hazel and chestnuts and of course, all the fruit trees. And um, I remember reading that even oak trees can be um, the, the nuts of the oak trees, whatever they are called, I forgot what their name is in English, but they can, humans can't eat them as they are, but they can be prepared so that they are eatable. So this idea of, uh, of uh, olive trees, almonds, yes, there are so many of them. Um, and even your relative, the, the pine in, in Italy, where I'm going tomorrow, uh, the Venus uh, Pigna, uh, they have big uh, pine cones and, and seeds that you can eat. But I wouldn't imagine that we could eat 
your seeds. The squirrels do, I remember, but but they're, they're too small for us to, to somehow utilize. But uh, uh, your, your pine cones are used to, to light fire that I saw because they, they were selling selling huge pine cones for that purpose in a shop here nearby. What else can I tell you or or what could you tell me? Are you happy now or or content? At least the the park is now quite peaceful. Two young guys are playing with sticks not far from here. I can see them from here, but otherwise there's not that. Oh, a little, a flock of geese. Not so much now. Well, thanks for listening to me again and, and have a nice August. I hope to come to you at the end of the month again. So, take care. This was an episode of the podcast Talking with Trees.